Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel, a cerebral beverage. You can get 30% off by using the code LIFO30, L-I-F-O-3-0 at brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com. And again, thanks to Brain Fuel for their support. And let's get in the zone for this episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here on the Next Up Partnership series with Craig Heisner. Really excited to talk to Craig about his experience within the brand world. Um, We'll dive into a little bit of the retail space and ultimately what makes a brand a brand. Uh, I think it's, it's an interesting one. There's always stories behind it. And then there's also a story behind Craig and how he got into the business. So Craig, let's start there. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. Good to be with you. How did you get into the brand world? And, you know, we'll dive into Reebok and New Balance and Brooks and, and the list goes on, but where did you get your start? You know, I, uh, I grew up as uh, playing sports like a lot of kids and uh, through high school, I ended up uh, starting to focus a little bit more on a couple sports, football and basketball, ended up going off to the University of New Hampshire and where I was a, a very, very slow blocking wide receiver um the uh i'll just say that the second number the first number in my 40 was a four the second number so it was below a five that's all i'll say i wasn't oh, i wasn't very fast nine is what i'm gonna guess and that's it was, <laughs> they call those tight ends is that a tight end well i couldn't put any weight on back then unfortunately <laughs> i can't take it off but yeah uh, i think it, i would have been a, a semi-fast tight end but anyway i always had a passion for sports and you know, I, I took a job when I first got out of school with uh, Campbell Soup Company. So I was actually a, a sales rep for Campbell Soup. And uh, I knew I always knew that I wanted to go back to school because I wanted to get into the, the brand brand management side of the business. And so I uh, after uh, four years working, I decided to attend business school full time for two years. And that's when I really started to look at, you know, what is it that I'm passionate about and what industries um, you know, would obviously al- align with those passions. And being in the Boston area, um, there's, you know, as you probably know, there's a number of athletic footwear and apparel brands. I was always sort of a gear guide, a gear guy, I should say. Um, swag. You know, even swag. It's, I, I, I love swag. I love shoes. You know, I, I, I was always into, you know, um, just, just the gear around sports. Uh, in fact, you know, without getting too far off track, when I was in um, when I was in fourth grade, I actually started designing designing uh, athletic shoes. So with a buddy of mine, so we used to, and I I have it somewhere in a box uh, framed, uh, the actual drawings of of my 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 brand, um, <laughs> which is kind of, which is kind of fun. So when when I started to look at uh, a number of um, the the jobs locally, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to crack the code. I mean, it's, you know, uh, um, you can imagine this is early nineties, highly competitive, obviously a, a very competitive industry, but great brands locally, New Balance, Reebok, um, Converse wasn't here at the time, but Puma, Etonic. I mean, there was just a, a number of, a number of brands locally. And um, I met a guy at, um, at Reebok, his name is John Morgan, wonderful guy, and John, just through networking. And John said, you know what, Craig, you should probably go and consider taking a retail position. 
And, you know, of course I was in my late twenties and I thought I was the smartest guy in the world with an MBA and, you know, a few years of experience. And I thought, I'm not doing that. Well, I did. And I actually was fortunate enough to uh, take a job with an independent running specialty retailer here in Boston called Marathon Sports. Um, the owner, Colin Petty, brought me on. They were just opening up their second door. Colin has done an amazing job with his business now. I think he's probably got upwards of 15 to 20, 20 doors spread around New England. And I learned how to sell athletic footwear um, and apparel right on the store level. Um, and eventually, you know, I, I think uh, the folks from New Bounce rolled through the, the doors one day and I, I met a guy by the name of Joe Preston, who's now the president and CEO, and, and Joe brought me on. And so, you know, if I had never taken that job uh, working um, at um, especially retail, I probably would not have had a chance to get into the business and ultimately capitalize on some of the opportunities that were presented to me. So yeah, it's a, it's a story that I've told many times. And I think, you know, the, the takeaway for, for young folks is, you know, identifying what you want to do and what you're passionate about and then doing whatever you, you have to do to, uh, to, to get that and be happy. So that's, that's how I broke in. Well, Craig, I mean, just like, just like your story evolved, brands evolved too, right? So as you're, you know, continuing your path, the brands are evolving, you know, obviously in the last 20 years, technology has made things wildly different than maybe the, you know, 20 years prior to that. But when you think about e-commerce, you know, the digitalization of the shopping experience, the consumer journey, uh, you know, via digital and social media, as opposed to the retail, you know, foot traffic, um, COVID's changing things on how people shop as well. And when you think about what makes a brand a brand, ultimately there's multiple kind of spokes to the wheel, if you want to call it that, right? Multiple spokes to the ecosystem in which makes the brand ultimately what it's worth, right? The IP and the familiarization, the fans, just as you might be a fan of the Boston Red Sox growing up in Boston, someone's a fan of New Balance because that's their favorite shoe and that's part of their lifestyle. And that's part of their brand, right? So what makes a brand a brand? Wow. All of the above, right? I mean, it's um, the, the consumer touch points with brands obviously extends both from a B2B and a B2C level. I mean, you know, whether it's, um, it's promotions, events, associations with athletes, with leagues, sports properties, um, products. I mean, you know, a, a, a big part of it is, is product. And I think, and, and of course, messaging, tone, I mean, all of those things, uh, you know, if I could just, just referencing New Balance, you know, when I, when I joined New Balance, they, um, you know, they, Jim Davis bought the company in the early seventies and, you know, built the business around made in the USA and with sizing. So the brand was, was sort of known for, for, for those pillars along with being truly a, a performance brand and running. They were one of the first brands in addition to Nike that had product over a hundred dollars at retail. Um, you know, at the same time, they, the, the brand had become a, 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 little, a little conservative and re really had not moved beyond um, generations. And consequently, the consumer for New Balance had aged a bit. Um, they really weren't 
you know, in the consideration set for a, a teen, uh, which is, you know, certainly a, a consumer that you want. You want to establish somebody in their, in their younger uh, ages and then obviously move them along over the lifetime. Um, so with, with New Balance, um, you know, it started with product. I mean, we really had to get more progressive in designs. Um, I think many folks rightfully viewed New Balance as being sort of this blue and gray colored, you know, fuddy-duddy New, New England brand. You've got a weird size or weird shaped foot. I got a shoe for you. Come on over here. Now, you know, when, you man when, when, when we step in and we start to extend the brand into new categories and progressive styling and um, expanding on colors, uh, starting to leverage greater uh, visible technology and just general performance technologies across the products, you don't obviously want to alienate the folks that have been with you. So managing that brand, looking for opportunities, um, and managing the brand to ensure that, again, you're, you're adding, but you're also retaining your customer base is really, really difficult. And it's, and it's really, really important. And I think that, you know, you just have to be disciplined. Um, people, people make strong associations with brands on both a product level as well as an emotional level. And managing across both of those is really, really important. You brought up something that, you know, is, has challenged a lot of brands uh, of late and outside of COVID. It's, you know, the, just the, the general push towards, um, you know, working across uh, the, the digital engagement and all the different ways in which you can engage with customers um, through whether it's product information, promotions, or whatever. And I think, you know, it's a living and breathing thing. You know, brands, you've, you've, you've got to stay disciplined. You obviously want to look for opportunities to continue to expand and grow your business. But, you know, it's got it's to work across all the different uh, ways in which, again, customers are coming in contact with you. It's hard, but yeah. it's fun. You mentioned something there, which, is, which brings up a really interesting point, because in a way you know, uh, the consumer journey is the same exact thing as the fan journey, right? It's, they're, they're identical in the sense that the products just, the product and the context are just different, right? So when you think about the consumer journey, you know, you mentioned not leaving the people behind that you've kind of started with. It's the same thing if you're the Red Sox, right? And you've got your kind of core fan of who, you know, the Boston, the true Boston local fan is, right? But if you're of course, a bigger brand like the Red Sox, and you're trying to expand nationally and globally. Again, you're trying to reach this dim different demographic. You're not going to get all of them. You might have the casual fan that's, you know, a fan of, of David Ortiz and maybe not the Red Sox as a whole or whatever the case might be. Yeah. Using examples, right? You still got to remember who the core season ticket holder is, right? Because that's, yeah. that's the base of your business. So relating the consumer to the fan right? How do you go about evolving the brand without leaving those people behind, as you mentioned, from a product perspective? And what if you do take a right turn as a brand and you do leave some people behind because you need to change your product in order to differentiate your business? Yeah. In some cases, I mean, I think that's, that's, the, that's the analysis that you're putting into it, right? I mean, how much attrition can you accept by perhaps shifting a bit? Um, you know, are you taking a longer term approach to how you manage your brand or are you looking for a quick fix of some things? You know, one of the things that I, I, and if you ask people that have worked with me or worked for me, they will often say, you know, if I walk into a meeting is, 
um, and I'm notorious for this. It's, you know, stop the meeting. Let me ask you guys something. What, what do you think the customer cares about this? What, what, do, what do you think they think? And, you know, I, I think it's, it's um, you know, the term customer cent centricity, right? It's, it's taking their perspective is sort of an overused term right now. Um, but it's, it's really very, very important. And I think you always have to try to look through the eyes of your customer as best as you can. And, you know, look, my, my work has been on, on the brand side, you know, understanding sports marketing and, and teams and leagues, you know, I've interacted with, with folks like that, but I haven't, you know, been challenged with, you know, directly putting, you know, people in seats. Um, but you're right. I mean, the similarities are, are, are quite close. I think you, you always take the perspective of the customer, no matter what it is. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what I think makes a, a, a good uh, brand marketing person a, a great one, where, where they can really um, provide what the customer, what, what the customer knows they want. But then you got to bounce in a little bit of what the customer doesn't know he wants yet. And that's where, you know, you start to evolve uh, a brand and you, and you start to move things on and you start to innovate and be creative without, without compromising, you know, those, those folks who have been with you. Absolutely. You know, one would argue that you put the, you put the butts in the seats because you gave them shoes to walk there. But, you know, um, as you think about, you mentioned kind of being ahead of the of the consumer and the fan, right? To to be able to predict what they want that they don't know that they want yet. How do you go about that? Is there you know from a data and analytics perspective that obviously has to play a large factor? Um, yeah. Machine learning, obviously that part of the industry is is rapidly growing, but where where does that take you in terms of innovation and and where do you start because when you look at a data set, I'm sure your mind can go in 20 different places and you got to focus on one. Well, the beauty of, of consumer data these days is that you can slice and dice it as, as fine as you, as you want. And, you know, you can obviously use a historical perspective of consumer purchases, consumer behaviors, um, feedback, and you can, you know, clearly machine it so that, you know, you're providing something that is uh, much more targeted. And, you know, we, we do a lot of that. In fact, we, we did a lot of that with the Shop Your Way Marketplace platform where I was working with, where you've got, you know, millions of engaged consumers who have made purchases across, you know, your, your retail ecosystem. And, you know, you can basically pull that data and um, have a truly rifle approach to any promotional initiatives, outgoing uh, digital engagements again with them. Um, but I think, you know, it's, again, I, I, I think the idea of utilizing, um, you know, the data is, is important, but, you know, again, good, good marketers have strong intuition. And, and I think when you're, when you're working in a field that you, again, you have passion for, you probably come from it, whether it's as an athlete or a fan or just a, just a customer, but you're, you're close to the action, you're in the field, you're curious, you're asking questions, you're constantly involved with, with your customer base. Intuition is important. And, and, and I think we have to lean on that. You should always be sprinkling in 
your intuition as to what you know uh, you believe will be will have a positive impact on consumer behavior around something that you're putting out there. How do you? It's, I'm, and I'm not always right. I'm I'm right half the time. So well, how do you, you find? Go. How do you find someone with the right intuition? Like if you're building out your marketing team, how do you know who's got the intuition and who doesn't? Well, for, you know, the, the beauty of the, the business of athletic footwear and apparel is you, you know, it's, it's natural to obviously look for folks who have come from the sport, um, the, the, the world of sports, not necessarily the sport that you could, you could be hiring them for. But I, but I think, you know, obviously sports is, is such an emotional game. Um, it, it involves so much of people's, of, of, our, of our lives um, as kids and, and growing up. Um, and you can't fake that. You know, I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, I, I grew up as, as an athlete. Um, you know, I, I grew up following, you know, what shoes Julius Irving wore and how he wore his sweatbands. I used to wear knee braces, even though my knees were fine, but Dr. J wore knee braces. I mean, that's just, you know, that, and I, I think it's, it's important to, um, to tap into that, you know, as, uh, because it's, it's genuine. People have, have a passion for it and, and, and it's going to, it's going to translate in, in their work. So that's, that's typically where, where you would, where, where I've found uh, folks who have joined my team to be, be more successful or, or perhaps, you know, lower the, the learning curve a little bit faster than others. Sure. You know, you mentioned something funny about the knee braces, right? And it's, and it's one of those things where now more than ever, because of social media and, and how much, uh, you know, a LeBron James or any other professional athlete has become their own brand, right? And people want to follow that brand as if it's Reebok or Nike or whomever. Um, talk a little bit about how that's evolving and, and how the athletes really have more influence over a brand than the brand does their own brand in a sense. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I, I think, you know, obviously we, some athletes are going to sell products. Um, um, it'll be easier to see, let's say that the return on, you know, the sponsorship uh, deal with, with some athletes than others. Um, but, you know, I think the beauty of, of utilizing athletes um to endorse products from my experience has been, it, it just creates an association with, with a brand. And I think it, it adds credibility, obviously from a performance standpoint. Um, you know, my, my, the majority of my work has been with track and field and triathlete athletes. Now, you know, it's from an endorsement standpoint, it's, it's considerably different and, and smaller, but I have done some work with, um, with some NBA, some high profile NBA guys like Baron Davis and, you know, helped with the, the D Wade deal. I was at, at Lee Ning. I, that association is, is invaluable, you know? Um, and I think, you know, beyond just seeing them wearing your athletes on, on you know, in the field of play, um, using them throughout your, your campaign and, and, you know, I think it's really important as you're getting back to the, the discussion about, you know, how do you manage the brand? I think, the um, the association with with an athlete uh, they they've got to be in line with your brand. I mean it's it's really really important that from a value standpoint you want to try and get a, a alignment there. Um, so athletes help, they definitely help um, in every sport. 
what makes a brand ultimately stick, right? You, you know, you've been able to, you've been fortunate enough to work with the Lululemons of the world, Tom's, you know, Spartan race. There's different types of brands in this athleisure space and within the sporting and entertainment world that, you know, some kind of rise to the top and then fall off, right? And then some kind of slowly build, some explode and, and stick, right? And continue to flourish. So what, what is it about a, you know, a brand that's unique that makes it stick? Uh, or is it the innovation, you know, that, that ultimately allows the brand to kind of stick around? Yeah, again, Jake, I think it's, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, certainly from a product standpoint, you, you always want to be innovating. It's a highly, highly competitive uh, industry in, in athletic footwear and apparel. And so you, you always have to be out front of uh, your competition and what's next. And of course, with development timelines, you know, you're working in the past, present and future all at once. So it's, it's a really competitive and, and awesome business to be a part of. But, you know, you mentioned Lululemon. The, um, I got introduced to the folks at Lululemon when I was with, I was running a, a smaller brand um, called Newton Running in Boulder, Colorado. And I knew that, Newton, that Lulu was, was looking to expand beyond their yoga customer, um, excuse me, which was primarily women. And, um, you know, they had never done anything in, in footwear. We had a very technical performance brand in Newton. And I reached out to them and I said, hey, you know, I, I, I've seen that you're looking to evolve beyond yoga into fitness and even into running. How about we talk about doing a collaboration on a licensing deal and let's let's do some footwear together. And we got down the path and we did some really cool designs and for for several reasons it ultimately didn't didn't get commercialized. But I was I was I got connected into the team there. And eventually uh, when I when I moved on from Newton, I did some consulting work with with Lulu. And so I got to know first off, I'm a, I'm a big fan of their I know you mentioned you have a, a Lululemon shirt on. You look sharp, yeah. Uh, the, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of their brand, and what I love about what those, those guys do is one I think they're incre incredibly consistent. Uh, the quality of their product is is really really good. They've had some hiccups, of course, that we've seen in the press, but for the most part, you know they have they do a wonderful job of of designing very purposeful um, and performance oriented products. Uh, the way that they run their retail operations is also really, really well done. You know, they don't have big uh, stock rooms in the back. They basically bring product in, it sells through, they bring in more product. And so the, the supply chain, the way in which they do things is, is quite good. The experience for customers is also really, really consistent. And so I, I think that's the word, right? So how does a brand like Lulu sustain itself, in my opinion, over time? Very innovative product. They, they don't waver from what they stand for. And, you know, the, the brand experience, no matter where you go, for the most part, is quite consistent. And I think, you know, that's, that's how, and, and they don't chase things. They're not chasing, you know, line extensions or, or new products. They're very thoughtful about extending their brand into running and fitness. And I think they've, they've been quite successful in doing so. Um, so they didn't rest on their laurels or, or the success that they've had over the years. They've gone after new, new segments of business, but they haven't compromised that customer experience and what that brand stands for. So consistency and innovation, being very smart 
uh, and calculated with how they start to evolve things, uh, bringing in new customers without compromising, again, their, their existing base. And you know that was an experience, although in a in a consultant capacity, that was eye-opening for me. I mean, these guys just do a really, really great job with how they manage their brand. So um, I think that's a you know a simple example that I've experienced of uh, a business that has has done a good job over time, and they'll they'll continue to do well. What's the biggest difference between say a startup brand versus you know, uh, uh, a regional brand versus one that's, you know, national versus one that then goes global, right? The biggest differences in how they truly function, is it, you know, size and scope of, of the product? You know, what, what has to happen in order for a brand to go from zero to a hundred? Yeah, well, geez, I, you know, and I know um... that's a loaded question. That's a loaded question, but, you know, there, there's, again, there's, there's brands that start small and explode quickly, or, you know, they start out as global brands, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy, right? I mean, there's, I think we all have sort of benchmarks in our, in our, in our heads about, you know, when, when a brand truly tips, Um, you know, rather than zero to 100, I think the most important uh, step for a business is zero to one. And, you know, the, the, it's the zero to one proof of concept and, you know, being rewarded in some way. And it's not necessarily one, but the, the point is, you know, you've, you've actually put something out there, the customers rewarded you for it. And now it's time to start to develop teams, start to develop systems, um, you know, infrastructure to be able to, to move this thing, this thing on. There's also big differences from I think you referred to it as medium size versus large global. You know, going going from a twenty-five million dollar mark to we'll call it a hundred million, that's a big leap, and that's when you know that's that's sort of in my head where I start to to view businesses as you know now they're really moving along. Um, a lot of the the challenges for smaller brands are the same that you see with bigger brands. Um, I think the biggest difference is much just just capital, right? I mean, you know, you'll, you'll hear it uh, many times with, um, you know, early revenue companies and startups that, you know, they're, they're challenged with how they, they utilize and, and deploy capital. Um, but, you know, the, the complexities of those different businesses are, are, are pretty similar uh, in, in many respects. Um, you know, I've, I've run uh, big business units, um, you know, 300 400 million dollar business units and i've i've run a, a 20 million dollar business and i can tell you that uh, sometimes you know that that 20 million dollar business is, is harder to run um and and you know i i will say that for startups also what you recognize is that you know you're you're conscious you're very conscious of every dollar that you're spending <laughs> Because again, it comes back to capital, right? So, you know, is this actually working for me? Is this the right decision? You don't have that. You don't have room for for mistakes. Um, so you have to be really, really smart. I, I think even from a how you manage your distribution is is also you have to be really careful. Um, it's very easy for a brand that's that's early in its lifetime to start to chase big numbers with retailers. Well, guess what? You know, if stuff doesn't 
check through and you're getting phone calls to come and get this stuff out of my store, you can go out of business. Uh, the big guys obviously will have opportunities to, to be able to move that inventory perhaps somewhere else. So, um, and you only get one chance to make a first impression, right? The old, the old saying. And I think that that, that is something that, you know, uh, weighs into not just product, not just marketing, but where you're being sold, how you're pricing your product. I mean, everything about the business has to be, has to be considered. That's what, you know, the, I, I think it's, it's fascinating. What's that? It's fascinating. It's, 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 it's a, you know, I, I've been, I'll just, I'll just say, I'm, you know, I, I, I pinch myself at times to think about, you know, that not only am I doing something that, um, that is a, a passion of mine and, and parlays my, my life, my active lifestyle that I've lived, you know, my, since I was a kid. Um, but the complexity of the business is such that, you know, it's, it's hard, but it's, it's a lot of fun because there's all these different pieces to it. And when you pull one, it can impact significantly the other. And you, so you have to be able to ensure that you're, you're managing everything effectively. Um, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of young people, not to get too far off track, but a lot of young people, when they, when they think about uh, what they want to do when they get out of school, I actually have a, a uh, I have two in college. My son is graduating this, this spring and he's still sort of trying to figure it out. And, you know, um, you, um, I think a lot of people tend to look at packaged goods, you know, consumer durables, and, and they don't think about sports and all the career opportunities that exist for, for people. And it's not just working for leagues or teams, which, you know, when I was a kid, that's where I, that's where I thought that's what you do in sports. There's a lot in the sporting goods business. Um, and of course, soft lines of footwear and apparel where the opportunities are immense. Absolutely. And can, you know, just for a high level snapshot for any student who's listening to go, ah, like that's interesting. To, to just a high level snapshot of what are the, the variety of areas that someone could look into, right? Obviously you have the brand itself, but then there's distributors, there's the retailers themselves, there's the manufacturers, like just quick, quick snapshot. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, the broad, from a broad standpoint, you've got the wholesale side, the retail side, as you mentioned, I mean, um, you can go in, in either one of those directions. There's a lot of really wonderful agencies that obviously focus on the, uh, the sports space, but within it, you know, from a functional standpoint, promotions, product, sales, development, uh, events. I mean, you can work in the field. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways in which young people can get involved in, in the business. I was lucky because I was, I was brought in in, in a product space. Um, and, you know, I think it aligned with, well, I was lucky because I think New Balance was at a, at a place where they were, the business was really, really growing. And I was got, I got slotted into a leadership role in their, their running business unit after about a year. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity to, to get involved uh, in, in, in any way. And of course, you know, the brand marketing side, strategy, um, you can get into forecasting, production planning, uh, finance, of yeah. course. I mean, everything. Yeah, right. I mean, social, digital media, that's a huge component. The yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that, um, first off, I think, you know, if, if, if I could, because I, you know, I, again, with my, my two finishing college here, you know, I tell them all the time, like, 
the, the getting into the digital space in some form is take some classes, learn it, you know, get, get, get some exposure to, to that side of it, because it's, um, you know, it's not as if the business is going in that direction. It's already there. And, you know, the use of con consumer analytics and data and, you know, how you use that data to, uh, you know, obviously work directly with, you know, people in, in product and, and branding is, is critically important. So I think that whole space is, it's not even new anymore. It's, it's, it's been around. And, you know, my, my involvement, I've always, I've always had, you know, I, I, I ran a direct to consumer brand called uh, Digital Li Ning out of Beijing, China, when we launched. And that, that was actually done with a digital agency in downtown Chicago. So, you know, Li Ning, which is a multi-billion dollar brand in, in China, you know, recognized that the best way to attempt to enter the U.S. marketplace was in a 100%, you know, digital uh, direct-to-consumer uh, business model. And so they did a joint venture. No one's ever done that with a digital agency. For a million reasons, it, 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 it wasn't as successful as it, it could have been, but but the idea of thinking about the business differently is where, you know, a lot of people will, will be going. And I think we're seeing even early, early revenue startup brands, you know, they're not even dealing with, with brick and mortar uh, yet. Um, although brick and mortar will never go away, but you know, it's obviously they're, they're, they're going direct to consumer. Sure. Yeah. It's going to continue to evolve. But like you said, it's already here, right? So learn about it, understand how it shapes the business a little bit. Um, you know, we gotta, we gotta wrap up the episode with a little rapid fire. So, um, uh -oh. um, you're a big Boston guy. If you could go to any game and we were talking a little bit about ballparks before we started, uh, yeah. you've got Fenway, you've got TD Ameritrade and, you know, a few other, a few other entities in town, whether it be Gillette or, you know, some of the minor league parks, where are you going to see a game? It's not, this, this is the easiest question you could ask me. Fenway is my place, man. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm on, hold on, time out. Where are you sitting? That's the better question. Where are you sitting? Where am I sitting at Fenway? Yep. Um, I'm, I'm sitting along the third baseline in the, uh, uh, in the pavilion seats, um, right about row four, you, you can stand, you can have a beer, they bring it to you. And it's, and it's a perfect, it's a perfect perch looking right down on uh, home plate. I thought for sure you were going to say the green monster, but you know, Hey, uh, I've, I've been out there, you know, I, I've, I've been out, I've, I've been in the green monster seats on a few occasions. Um, I like, you can't really see the left fielder, uh, but it's it's a cool experience. Um, I, I will say this: if you go out there, although Big Poppy doesn't play with with us anymore, but um, if you go out there during BP, man, and be Big Poppy's uh, going opposite field, you just make sure you're paying attention because those balls are slamming against the wall out there. Yeah, Big Poppy for sure. Uh, I mean, he was one of the greatest. Uh, I, I remember going to my first game at Fenway. We were about 10 rows up, which means in Fenway, you're about five rows behind home plate because of yeah. how small the rows are. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, he's standing on deck and you're like, wow, that's just a massive guy. Just a massive human being. And, you know, he's, he's one of the best there are. So, um, well, Fenway, Fenway is a, a, just a, you know, it, it's, we, you know, we talked a little bit about baseball parks. I mean, 
I, I, I love to visit parks across the country. I, I meet a buddy every year and we pick a different park uh, or two. And um, you know, it's how just many, a one. You know how many you're at? I'm at 25. You know, I never, I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that, Jake. I got to do the math, man. I, I, I could be around, around there. There's, there's not many that I haven't been to yet, but um, I still find a, a day at Fenway park to be uh, just a, a glorious, glorious time, no matter what's going on. Well, I'd like to see the team get, get back to where they were a few years ago, but, but it's still a fun day. That that's the true Boston fan speaking right there. So yeah. Uh, last question is, as, as we finish, obviously Boston Marathon's a big deal and you're, you've been in the running space outside of the Boston Marathon, because I'm going to assume that's your first answer. Where else are you running? What race are you running in? Uh, hypothetically or for real? Well, you know, that's, that's up to I, you. <laughs> so I've run, the, I've run the Boston Marathon four times. Um, the, my, my last one was, um, about 13 years ago. So my, my days of distance running have, uh, um, have been shortened. Um, but interestingly, I, I live in Newton and I live about, uh, four tenths of a mile from Heartbreak Hill. So I actually, uh, do run the, uh, the hills. I just don't run the 20, the 19 miles before it um, anymore. So those, those days are gone, but yeah, no, I, I just enjoy, um, I enjoy, you know, being, being near the course, you know, the race, the race is fantastic. I was lucky to have a chance to, to, you know, to mention run it and uh, I'll do it again, but not this year <laughs> at some point I'll yeah. get back out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm running a lot slower than I, than I was uh, back in the day, but um, it's, it's an amazing Patriots day all along is, is, is fantastic in Boston. So awesome. But I'll be, I'll be drinking beer in Fenway park at the, uh, at the ball game. And then I'll go down to Kenmore square and watch the runners come by. That's, that's a fun day too. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> well, Craig, really appreciate your perspectives, your insights on really what makes a brand a brand and all of the different uh, components and complexities of that business. Um, and ultimately that part of the sports business, because it's massive, right? And there's so much that goes on in that world. Again, so many opportunities, as you mentioned, um, really appreciate the time to uh, discuss. Enjoyed it, Jake. Thanks. Hey, LIFO listeners. Thanks for listening to today's episode. And remember, you can get your copy of our new book, LOL, Loss of Logo, What's Your Next Move, written by Andy Dolich and myself, your host, Jake Hirschman, on Amazon or Mascot Books. If you go on Mascot Books, you can use the code LIFO for 50% off. 